Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I am super excited that we're going to talk about the upset of the century today. Columbus Blue Jackets taking out the Tampa Bay Lightning, the predestined Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round in a sweep. But as you know, the worst thing about the success of the Blue Jackets is how many times we have to hear that damn cannon. And I, I know I know that it has become so sports writer cliche to complain about the cannon. It's because it's it's like comedians complain uh, complaining about airplane food, you know, basically at this point. But it's really loud. It's a really loud cannon, and it's right by the press box. Should we have a nice, soft, sensitive podcast this morning to ease you back into real life? <laughs> well, I sit next to my friend Dan Rosen from NHL.com, and and you know we're we're both sort of like trying to anticipate when it's going off, but then. You know, they they sweep the lightning, and at the end of the game, it's like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. They just keep firing <laughs> the cannon over and over again. That sounds quite dramatic. So that's 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 fine. It's still not as bad as the All Star game where they scored like thirty goals and and they actually broke the cannon. Like the cannon stopped working. They scored so many goals that day, but uh, it went off a lot in the last two days, and we'll talk about why. Coming up on the show, Brett Connolly of the Washington Capitals joins us. Diana Neros of the Tampa Bay Times joins us to talk about the lightning. And Emily and I break down not only the historic sweep of the lightning by the Blue Jackets, but the first time ever that Sidney Crosby has failed to win a playoff game in the postseason. All that and more on ESPN and Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey now. Welcome to ESPN on ice, the podcast for ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski on three hours of sleep. I'm Emily Kaplan on slightly more sleep in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, I'm in like Ohio. I'm at like Radio Ohio here in uh, in beautiful Columbus as we do the show today. Lumbus, as it's sometimes known. I have to say that I think Ryan McDonough put a bow around what happened this week for me the best way. When he said, every single thing that we did well in the regular season, they did better than us in this series. Mm-hmm. It's the truth. Like, you think about it. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning were the highest scoring team that we've had since the 1995-1996 season. And the Blue Jackets outscored them. They had the best power play since the 1988-89 season. And the top penalty kill in the NHL as well this season. They went one for six, partially because they didn't get a lot of power plays because the refs didn't do a great job, but also because the Blue Jackets don't take a lot of penalties. And then the Blue Jackets went five for ten. And I don't know about you. I am no mathematician. But if you are giving your opponent 50% proficiency on the power play during a series, I'm guessing you're getting swept. All right, Greg, you were there last night. I just want to know, what was it like in the Tampa Bay room after they lost? <laughs> well, Take me there. It was very quiet. Um, Stamkos spoke. McDonough spoke. Kucherov spoke, which was a nice surprise. Um... The first thing I saw when I walked in was uh, Braden Coburn and Dan Girardi just kind of like sitting in their stalls and staring off into the distance. And, you know, there, there's not a lot of uh, free agents on this roster, although there might be a lot of turnover. But there are some veteran guys in that blue line who probably thought this was it. This was their big shot to try to get a ring um, and then not really knowing what the future was going to hold for them with this franchise because obviously we know what their cap situation is going to be. They got to sign Braden point. Um, they're already committed to a lot of money through 2022. So for a guy like Girardi and a guy like Coburn, Coburn, by the way, had a really good game last night. This is it. This is probably the last game that they've played as members of the lightning. And I am guessing that they thought that scenario would play out with them lifting a big silver thing over their heads instead of going out in the first round in a sweep. So that was one thing. The other thing is that I realized that much like, I used to feel this way with Alex Ovechkin. I feel like I've had the same conversation with Steven Stamkos way too often in the last six or seven years. You know, him, him sitting at his stall, you know, a big vein on his forehead, and he's trying to explain things that are inexplicable. 
Why did this team score? What happened here? Who did this? What happens now? And it seems like I've had this conversation with him over and over again, whether it's losing in the cup final, whether it's losing in the conference final to Pittsburgh and Washington, and now losing to the Blue Jackets in the first round. And the theory, the spin, Emily, that they're putting out, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree with this, is that they are a victim of their own success. They clinched so early. They clinched in March, early March. They are the, the uh, other than the Capitals of, of a few years ago, I think, they're the uh, earliest team to clinch since the 2005-2006 season. They have not played a meaningful hockey game in months. And then you get the Blue Jackets, who had to win like seven of eight games to get into the playoffs. They're rocking and rolling. In those victories, they gave up two or fewer goals. Their defense is coalesced. Bobrovsky's playing well. And so their contention is that although this might seem like a choke, although this might seem like a gigantic, historic, monumental disappointment, the fact of the matter is is that they were on cruise control, the team they played was in playoff mode, and you can't flip the switch, especially if you get punched in the mouth in game one like they did. I think that's BS. I really do. Yeah! Hot no, takes. I do. I, I think that's saying that they're not as strong of a team as we think they are. I, I understand what they're trying to rationalize here. It's saying, look, we were so good that we weren't tested, and this was a different tournament where people were tested and had to go to a different level. But if you're an amazing team, you can get to that level, and you can flip that switch just like the Blue Jackets did in this series. So. Yeah, like, I, I think John Cooper has to say those things. I often look at what coaches say, and I always wonder, who are they saying it for? You know, I, I thought about Rod Brindamore and his comments about Andrei Svechnikov after the fight, and I'm saying, I don't know if he really believes that Alex Ovechkin bullied him. He's <laughs> saying this to protect his guy, and he's saying this to his team. And look, after Rod Brindamore talked, I wanted to go and suit up for that guy tomorrow. <laughs> like, I want to go play for him. <laughs> John Cooper, when he's saying that, is speaking for his team because right before the playoffs, guess what happened? John Cooper got a multi-year extension. Boy, he's did he. coming back. All the players, as you mentioned, they're coming back. Something might stink in that room, but it's going to stink next year because all the smelly kids are coming back and <laughs> they got to figure out how to stay together. So, uh, when he says that, you know, yeah, I think maybe part of his brain believes it. Part of his brain is just saying, I've got to say the right things today and I have all summer, long summer to think about it. And the last thing I'll say in the lightning before we move on is I just cannot believe that this is going to be such a mess and Steve Eiserman just gets to go and say, Bye. Bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll run off into the distance to Detroit. He yeah. doesn't have to deal with it. It's amazing. Is he no longer retroactively the greatest GM of all time that, that <laughs> he built this team and then they went out in a sweep? Like, does he still, does he, he would have gotten the credit if they won the cup. Does he get, not get the credit now because they got swept? That he built a, a fragile psyche team? Does he get the credit for the regular season, but not the postseason because that's when he really turned over the leaf? I don't know. I think history will look upon this very interestingly. Yeah. Um, we talked to Diana uh, uh, Neros later about the lightning and the ins and outs of it, including Cooper's future. So um, I'll leave the, you to listen to that conversation for a lot of this lightning stuff. But the Columbus fans are going to bring their their torches and burn down our studio if we don't give them the proper credit here. And and here's what I'll and say. And they deserve it. They do. They do. Uh, here's what I'll say on a couple of those fronts. Um, first of all, they weren't an eight seed. Uh, I wrote about this in the Anatomy of an Upset piece that published on ESPN.com after the loss, kind of putting the uh, lightning on the slab and opening up the body and seeing exactly what the cause of death was. They weren't an eight seed. They were the 13th best team in the league. They had a better record than three Western Conference playoff teams in Dallas and and uh, Colorado and Vegas. Um, they came rolling into the playoffs. Uh, their numbers were very sort of above the, the, the median when it came to offense and defense. They had the best penalty killing along with the lightning in the regular season. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, is that after their Western Canadian road trip in which they had a very apparently candid meeting and cleared the air on a lot of things, this became Love a different those team. Clear the air, oh, uh, Western Canada meetings. But, it, but it's true, man. They, they, ever since that point, they became a juggernaut, uh, especially they, on the defense. Uh, did they like what? pull off to a road stop and bamf and, uh, all <laughs> sit around, uh, the ledge of a mountain and then stare off and, and shout their grievances. Or they just sat in the locker room and like, why is our coach such a jerk? No, uh, they, uh, so 
they were they've been playing insanely well, and, and especially on defense, and and that's where the series turned. I mean, like the Lightning couldn't get anything generated offensively because of this this one two two four check clogged up the neutral zone. Thirty turnovers in four games for the Blue Jackets. Full marks to that system, which brings us to two things. One is a factor that we had no idea was going to be a factor. Sergei Bobrovsky became a playoff goalie right before our very eyes. A man with a sub-900 save percentage in his uh, tenure with the Blue Jackets. A man who at times has been responsible for this franchise not being able to get past the first round of the playoffs. All of a sudden became... You know, Jonathan Quick circa 2012. Like, 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 just insanely good defense, uh, goaltending from Bobrovsky in this series. Outplayed Vasilevsky and was the absolute last line of defense when they needed him to be. Wasn't all, it wasn't like, you know, he's flopping around and, and stealing this series. But when they needed him, he was there. And listen, if you've listened to this podcast or me forever, you know that this is, this is the part where I am now like choking down the bile. I hate being wrong. I hate giving people credit that I don't like, but here goes. John Tortorella coached the hell out of this series. <laughs> he outcoached John Cooper by a country mile in this series. And for two two reasons. One, the defensive system. And two, every Blue Jackets player that I talked to said the same thing. There is an honesty to this team in the way that they play and in the way that they interact behind the scenes that they've never dealt with before. They cleared the air on Bobrovsky and Panarin early in the season in a meeting. They had this other meeting in, 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 in Western Canada. They got more meetings than, than you and I do uh, on the editorial staff here. But, like, apparently, like, Tortorella is the reason for that candor. And I got to give him credit for that. And I got to give him credit for the defensive system. And I got to look at John Cooper and say, you didn't know when to play your goalie in game three. You didn't know to try to... uh challenge the first goal in game four, which could have been and may have been goalie interference. And you couldn't make the adjustments necessary to figure out how to get through that defensive front. John Tortorella, a guy whose greatest attribute is cursing and making quips about the media in press conferences. Outcoached dogs too. And he loves dogs. Must love dogs. Outcoached the hell out of John Cooper in this series. It, it was embarrassing for Cooper. And I love Cooper, but it was embarrassing for Cooper. It was incredible. You know, I wonder why no other teams during the year had really thought just to stack all of your defensemen in the zone like that. Because when I was watching in the third period yesterday, the Lightning had no space. They couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what my theory is on that. Yeah. They won 30 out of their 62 games by three or more goals. So they're up the whole time. Yeah. They're up the whole time. They get up on teams, and and teams are. There's a difference between looking at down the barrel of a seven game series and looking down the barrel of an 82 game season, because you might not care as much. You might just say, okay, I'm going to chalk this one up to the better team uh, outscoring us, and we'll we'll just move on to the next one, right? But in a seven game series, there's no quit. So all of a sudden, in game one, wherein in the regular season, the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets might fold up the tents. And say, all right, three nothing first period. Ugh, where are we going next? Calgary, all right. But in the series, they don't stop playing. And and I'll tell you exactly where it turned. The entire series came down to two things, Emily. Sergey Bobrovsky stopping Nikita Kucherov in the second period of Game One to keep it three nothing, mm-hmm. and then Ryan McDonough making one of the single most ill-advised passes in the history of <laughs> Ill- ill-advisory or passes. That was turned over and Nick Foligno scored on a breakaway. And then all of a sudden, the Blue Jackets found their footing. And all of a sudden, the Lightning's confidence was shot. And where Cooper really failed was not getting this team ready for game two. He thought they could come right back out there and do what they did in the regular season, which is just steamroll people. He didn't realize that their confidence was shaken because all of a sudden the team came back on them. And all of a sudden the team controlled what they do. And he had no idea. All right. R.I.P. Lightning. Uh, you are in Raleigh. You referenced the uh, <laughs> one of the biggest controversies of the uh, uh, postseason so far. What was your take on uh, on Ovechkin Gate? And who do you believe in this? He said. He said kerfuffle. Well, I'll start with this, and a lot of people have said it, and I subscribe to this theory. If the NHL was invented today, if we decided to create a new sports league or a new sport. And we create all these people and we put them in a room and we're like, what should the rules be? 
Should we allow occasional pauses in the game for two guys to punch their brains out? I think that would not be in it. Knowing what we know today about concussions and head injuries, I just think it's a little barbaric. Fighting, I don't think, would exist in the modern NHL, but it does. And there are certain rules that we live by uh, when we fight. There, you know, is sucker punches and guys who are not ready to fight. And then there's consenting fights. If you look at this fight, it is a consensual fight. Right. Uh, when you look at the video, there is a clear nodding and recognition between both players. I think everyone is asking, why would this 19-year-old kid go up against Alex Ovechkin, this huge monster? And I know he hasn't fought since 2010, but, man, that guy knows how to fight. He's clearly <laughs> taken some boxing lessons in his life. Like It's not just that he's big. He knew how to punch. Uh, my theory of why? It's the heat of the moment. I, I don't know what happened, but, you know, when you're out there and emotions run high and the physicality there, you know, I think this dated back to game one or game two. They were kind of jabbing at each other. They're jawing again in this game. Uh, there's a little action around the neck, uh, uh, the net. Um, anyway, they fight. Um, Ovechkin clearly overpowers him, knocks him out. It's clear he fell on him. I don't think it was a nasty, I'm going to slam your head against the ice. Yeah, uh, I think it's like... Slipped. He doesn't know how to fight. Like, I mean, he knows how to fight. Oh, I he think he knows how to fight. No, no but, 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 like, an enforcer, when it's clear that the guy he's fighting, his lights go out, isn't going to throw that extra punch on the way down. Like, they, yeah. they know better. And, and Ovechkin, like you said, hasn't fought since 2010. He doesn't know, know better. Right. So, all that said, now I want to talk about the aftermath of how we talk about the fight and how we move on from the fight. Rod Brindamore comes up in his post-game press conference and is like, you know, I, I know Ovi just talked in his room, but he said that our kids started it, but and that's different. But how are you going to go after a 19-year-old kid who's only played 90 games and, and is totally defensive? And the more I've thought about it, two things here. One, Rod Brindamore is a rookie head coach. Yes, yeah. he's been in the minors, and yes, he's been an assistant, but he's a rookie head coach. He's just not as polished of what to say to the media. I think he's just speaking from his heart, which we appreciate as journalists. We don't <laughs> want all that coach speak, but right. sometimes it's not the best thing. Svechnikov, I, I really believe he treats this guy like a son. It's He wow. has a, a paternal um, bearing over this guy, and, and it was almost just like, your kid... And my kid got in a fight on the playground, and your kid spit on my kid first, and everyone else is like, dude, they're both spitting at each other, but you're going to be protective over your kid. So that's the way I see it. I think it's interesting that Todd Reardon snaps back. Uh, the next day, he goes, well, you know, it's always been my policy to never talk about guys on the other team. That's my coaching thing. I don't <laughs> yell from the bench. Uh, a little holier-than-thou action going on. So I think that's an interesting subplot, you know. I do find it interesting. Rod Brindamore is doubling down on this. He went on the radio here in Raleigh the next day. He called out the mainstream media. He said, you mainstream ah! media are not going to talk about Ovechkin. Uh, you guys are going to let him off the hook. And I go, is this a personal attack to me? Hockey media is fake news. They just write what they want. They don't get. Yeah. Yes, that's but, right, right about Ovechkin. Okay. Uh, this is what I will say about Ovechkin. And I've been talking a lot to Izzy Krashudian, who covers the team for the Washington Post. She's been around them every day. I think he's being an incredible captain right now. We talk about him all year for his goal scoring. For the beginning of his career, all we talked about him is the one-dimensional player. In this series, all we've seen from him and all we've been discussing is his <clears throat> passing. Of a, Oh, my God, look how much amazing he's passing. About his physicality, about this fight, which kind of set the tone. It's all the other things. And I think he's sending a message to his team, like, guys, I'm in this. Like, we're not going to sleepwalk through this postseason. Like, I want to win this again. And quite frankly, he was the only cap that really showed up in that game. They looked yeah. terrible. I think the loss of Michael Kepney was exposed because their defense looked really shaky. Braden Holpe, I don't really know what he was thinking on a couple of those goals. There was a lot of breakdowns. And the forwards just couldn't generate anything. They really let the Carolina Hurricanes set the tone. And in my opinion, like what we should be talking about Ovechkin is he's trying to send this message to his team, and he's being a really good captain at this moment. To me, this is your classic uh, team that hasn't been in the playoffs for a really long time, wins a very emotional game three, and then the veteran team on the other side of the ice closes this thing out in five. Is that the vibe you get, or do you think that game three was a real turning point? Um, I think it was a turning point in that I think the Hurricanes are going to show up a bit more in game four, and I think they'll give them a challenge for game five and, and maybe to push the series to six or seven. I do think eventually uh, the Capitals, because of their experience, uh, because of the talent, uh, they are going to push through. But, you know, I do think that this was a game that, like, 
the Hurricanes weren't going to lose. And if you saw right. the pregame yeah. atmosphere, <laughs> you know, the guys are driving in. They, they feel like they're at, like, State College, Pennsylvania. They see, you know, country music and Kanye West and pigs rolling around in, like, wheelbarrows. And it's awesome. And everyone's <laughs> getting super pumped. And they get there, and it's loud. They're doing the Ric Flair Woo thing. Uh, you know, it's packed, and it hasn't been packed, really, until the end of the year. And they're all pumped. They're not losing this game. Moving over to the Toronto series real quick. Um, Leafs and seven was my pick. I, I really liked what they did in game three. I thought that was an impressive effort. Obviously going to be a long series, but let's, let's, uh, hit on the, the biggest point, which is the Kadri suspension. Um, I don't, I'm a fan of player safety. I think they do a really good job. I don't know what the hell they were thinking here. Like the idea of this being an elastic suspension where it could be up to the five games it should be, or if the Leafs went out, Nazem Kadri would be suspended for the same number of games that he was a year ago when he did the same kind of thing in the same kind of situation against the same team. Like, isn't the basis of player safety to try to change players' behavior? And yet we have a guy doing, it's like Groundhog Day. Like, it's literally the same thing in the same game, the same situation last year. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't agree with the elastic suspension. I thought it should have been five static. If they, if the Leafs happen to win three games, uh, in a row and win this series, congratulations. You don't have Nassim Kadri for a couple games in the, in the next round. Like, I, I don't understand the idea of it being, well, rest of the round and however long that is, well, we'll just see. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I tell you what frustrated me because I was at this game and I was on the series. I'll join it again for game five and probably through game seven. Let's be honest. Um, but I would love to know deep down inside how the Toronto players feel about Nazem Kadri. They yeah. love him as a teammate, right? And they know how important he is. Like getting John Tavares was so important because then it could push Matthews down to the second line. It could push Kadri down to the third line. It creates all these favorable matchups for them. They need him. He's a great two way forward and he goes and does something stupid and boneheaded like this and they're without him. I'd love to know what they think. You go into the locker room and I, I talk about messaging and media. I've, I've never experienced anything like this where players literally, it's not that they're brainwashed, they're just trained. So like <laughs> yeah. Austin Matthews comes out, John Tavares comes out, Morgan Riley, Zach Hyman, and they all say some variation of this. What did you think of, uh, you know, what Kadri did to DeBrusque? Well, it was from an awkward angle from the bench, so we really couldn't see it. What do you think of the officiating in this game? Officials have a really hard job. It's really, really <laughs> difficult to officiate. They're trying just as hard as we are out there. Officials have a hard job. And like, I'm like, wow, man, like you guys stay on brand. Yeah. Um, so we'll never know how they feel. Uh, I, I know they love Kadri. I know the questions in Toronto media now are, what does this mean for him? Do they have to get him off this team? Is he toxic? Do they have to trade this contract? Which let's be honest is a great cap hit for the type of player he is. If mm-hmm. he can stay out of trouble. Right. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea how any of them feel and I wish I could give you some insight there. And that's why I think this is much less like a Matt Cook. We have to get him off this Penguins team situation than it is a Tom Wilson. Let's hope this guy changes his behavior situation because I think he's a really good player and uh, like Mike like Mike Babcock said you know you could play on the edge but uh, don't uh, put your future in the hands of somebody else it's the only thing you gotta do that's our first Babcockian impression on this podcast and I 10 out of 10 approve I like his grit I like his jam <laughs> alright speaking of grit and jam let's get to the one that a lot of you want to talk about the New York Islanders the Icelanders uh, if it weren't for the Lightning, this would be the biggest story in sports right now. The fact that the New York Islanders swept the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Crosby, yeah, Sidney fi- Crosby off the board. Yeah, until until Game Four, he had he had an assist in Game Four on the Gensel goal. But then after that, uh, nothing. Uh, didn't score a goal. Uh, was like a minus. I want to say five or something like that. He he, the first time in his career that he's been swept. It's insane that they, that the Islanders did this to a Penguins team. But it speaks to two things. It speaks to the fact that the Penguins are a, a fundamentally broken team, which we can get to in a second. And it speaks to the fact that the Barry Trotz, Mitch Korn, Robin Lehner defensive front that the Islanders had this season to be the best defensive team in the NHL, uh, it's a transferable trait to the playoffs, man. They, they played really, really well. And the thing that they did better than, maybe any other team in the playoffs so far is offensively they picked their spots every single time that the Pittsburgh Penguins looked like that they were going to find some modicum of momentum in this series and look no further than Jake Gensel scoring 35 seconds into game game four 
the Islanders came back and scored within the next like three minutes. It was uncanny. The timely goals. Oh, the it was uncanny goals. how they did that in this series. And and so the, the the Penguins had no way to really build up confidence or build up momentum because the Islanders a just sucked the life out of them. They were vampiric defensively. And B, uh, every time the Penguins got some traction, the Islanders would score a goal and take it away from them. It was it was a remarkable performance for the Islanders in the series. I agree. I think that defensive system is incredible. It's interesting. Todd Reardon takes a little bit of credit for it too. <laughs> uh, he he, uh, he had an imprint on the way uh, Barry Trotz uh, brought some of those schemes over. But look, what's great about that system is it doesn't matter the personnel if you can get guys to buy in. Uh, and all of those guys bought in. Remember, this is the exact same defensive group, pretty much, that they had last year that allowed the most goals in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were incredible. I'm, I'm curious to see if they can sustain this for a long playoff run. You know, it seemed to work against the Penguins, a team that had a lot of ailments themselves and, you know, were exposed in a very big way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough way to grind out a couple more series. It really is. Yep. That said, they're getting the timely goals. Like, they don't need the superstar to rely on. We don't have to be like, well, where's Stamkos? Why won't he show up? Where's Austin Matthews? Why but won't he show up? They do have it's talent. anyone. It's Casey Zizekas. It's but, Matt Martin. It's whoever. But they do have talent. Like, Barzell's, oh. he, uh, Everly. The, uh, the question is, which one of these teams, the Blue Jackets, the Islanders, is the LA Kings from a few years back, where they are juggernauts defensively and then have up, uh, talent up front to, to score the goals they need? One of these I teams. I think that's more is, of an is, Islanders. I think yeah, the Columbus Blue Jackets are a little more well-rounded than that. So the way it sets up, maybe, is that the Blue Jackets have cleared the road for the Leafs. Maybe. Ooh. And then over on the other side, it could be Barry Trotz against the Washington Capitals. And that means that it could be, Emily, if things do play in a certain way, it could be John Tavares against the Islanders in the conference final. Juicy, juicy, juicy <laughs> stuff. All right. Let's talk about the Penguins real quick. Yeah. What are they going to do? They're going to try to... Sullivan, I believe, is coming back, by the way. Oh, sh- sure, absolutely. Uh, they have to get younger. Uh, the core is going to remain there. Um, I don't think this is going to be your trade Malkin moment. They might, I mean, they might explore trading Kessel, but they're going to have to find the right team to take them. As they've tried to explore for the last 48 months. Yeah. So they have, they have to get younger. And, and again, like the thing about Jim Rutherford is that although the, the, some of the acquisitions played all right, none of them, none of them were as impactful as like when Justin Schultz came on this team. Um, they, they whiffed on a few things here and there. Their depth isn't there. They're just, there's just something off about this group right now. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't quite know how to fix it. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of age and a lot of, of miles on this roster, but they have to start getting younger immediately, or else they're going to end up being the LA Kings. And they have no prospect pool. And they have to really start worrying about Matt Murray. I think that's. I think they have to start worrying about him, but I do believe that they have trust and trust in Jari and Casey DeSmith. Uh huh. I just want to talk. Uh-huh. I just, I just, I just wish I was on on Pittsburgh Sports Talk Radio today. Be like, Yin's know they should have kept Flower, right? Flower was here. Yin's know nothing this would, none of this would have happened if Flower were still here. All right. Speaking of the Capitals, let's welcome our guest. You had an incredible season. You had a lot of offensive output. If you had to attribute it to one thing, good luck, confidence, or hard work, what would you pick? I think, you know, you got to work hard for your chances. So I think we got a good team. Uh, a lot of things, you know, you need to go well, but um, maybe, yeah, hard work, I guess. Is there anything you did different this summer? Because you buy a steel, right? Cup. That's what I did. <laughs> um, a lot of confidence from that, so that definitely helps. For sure. Now you began your career in Tampa Bay, but you've seen them the last couple of years in the Eastern Conference. What's your takeaway from what happened of them getting swept in the first round? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter where you finish and how many wins you have in the regular season. Um, with the salary cap and, and everything in our league nowadays, teams are so good and you know, very equal in terms of skill and elite players on this team. So it's... Every night, there's a chance, there's not a guarantee that you're going to win, no matter how good you had the regular season you had. So, um, obviously, surprising for for everyone. No one expected that. And um, Columbus, we we played them last year in the first round, and they're a great team, and they added some good pieces at the deadline. And it seems like they're just coming together at the right time, kind of like we did last year. And 
they were the better team for all four games. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to see. The hot button issue in game three was obviously the fight. Were you guys all surprised that Alex fought? Uh, yeah, obviously he's he doesn't need to fight. He's a goal scorer of all time, and he's obviously our, you know, our best player. And, um, it's playoffs, and for whatever reason, uh, they decided they, they were going to fight. I think it, uh, it was an intense game. First two games were intense. I think the spend a club or however you say it. Um, he was playing hard all three games and you know kudos to him he he was right in there and uh, he's been competing all three games and I think the outcome obviously is not what anybody anybody would want to see but um, you got to give him credit as well he he's been battling all series and just decided he wanted to give all a go and I was a big man and the outcome I think made it a lot worse with the topic but um, you know, we wish we could have got a little more momentum from that which we didn't and they seem to kind of rally a little better than us so you know, we don't we don't want to see him fight it too much we obviously want to stay on the ice but it was I think it was good for our group. With your former coach, Barry Trotz, what's the biggest takeaway or lesson you've had from your time with him as a coach? Uh, I think he did a good job of um, bringing a uh, winning culture to the team. Um, did a really good job of having everybody playing for each other and kind of that family um, environment uh, in, in the locker room and everything. Pick it up. Um, he's obviously done that with the Alabama this year. And, um, you know, he brought a, a really good culture to our team, so he's uh, obviously he's a big part of our team winning last year and even this year. It's kind of been passed down a little bit that winning culture and that kind of mentality that he's he's instilled in our group. What would it be like to play him in the playoffs? Uh, well, it'd be it'd be interesting. Um, we obviously have to get there first. It's, uh, it's going to be a, uh, a tough series. We know that. And, but um, you know, if we, we are able to get to the second round and feel uh, a little better here down the stretch in this series, um, it would be obviously challenging. He's got that team playing really well. And, um, you know, he's a detailed coach, good structure. And, um, as a, like I said, as a team player, but also would be a, a big challenge. Now, Razor's had I know Brooks is a big guy that's focused on health and wellness and kind of like a body is your temple kind of guy. Is there anything that he's lectured you about or taught you about food or drinks that you've adopted? Uh, not really me, I don't think. Um, you know, he's on some of the younger guys a little more. Trying to Berkey, I heard. Berkey, for sure. Uh, always watching him at the dinner table and Giving him the eyes of the bread and um, all that, but he's uh, he's a big part of our team. And, um, he's, uh, well, we don't have we don't know how many how much more he's going to have uh, from the tank, how many years he's got left. If, if this is it, um, he'll be he'll be missed if, if this is it and this is the last year with this group because a lot of guys lean on him and um, a lot of guys need him around to kind of keep keep guys in check and, um, but he's, he's definitely been uh, good for a lot of guys alright my last thing I always ask the hockey players the grossest thing you've ever seen on the ice honestly it might have been that fight last game to be honest that might have been up there with the worst disturbing non mind kidding that was uh, that was one of the hardest I've ever seen someone get hit in the face to, when, when you see guys um, kind of go out a little bit and lose their senses I think that's that's definitely something in the game that's not uh, not for everyone that's for sure. is that one of those things that's kind of hard to go to sleep or hard to get out of your brain yeah just uh, it's tough I know always always Usually, you have to for sure. It's you know, he's a young, young Russian kid who I'm sure has got pulls from the goal. It's just a, it's a weird situation. You, know? um, you never want to see that to happen anymore. It's obviously part of the game still, and it happens. But um, you know, those those head blows and guys are don't really know where they are. Those are definitely disturbing for sure.
our thanks to Brett Connolly and the Washington Capitals for that interview. And, you know, I know they can't wait to discover what happens in the rest of the series. And did you guys all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year, automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your rewards in any amount, at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats of the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. Now, Greg, limitations do not apply for how much I love staying up and watching this Western Conference playoffs. I've had some very late nights watching it, but there's been some excellent games. Where should we begin? Well, let's give credit where it's due that the NHL has done a really good job staggering the start times of these games. Oh, my it's been God. Really, it's, it's been really fun. Really fun. You can watch the third period of every game and yeah. just have a great time. It's great. Um, let's start with uh, Winnipeg and St. Louis. Really interesting game four. The question was, can Jordan Bennington bounce back from his worst game in, in the postseason? Maybe one of his worst games of the season. And the answer was yes. He made 37 saves. Here's the problem. Connor Hollybuck was also really good. Here's the problem. Mark Shifley was the better than both of them and uh, and set up the game winner in overtime for, for Connor and then scored the uh, game tying goal in the third period. This was a for a guy who picked the Blues in this series. This gave me the clenched sphincter. Because this is the kind of game the Blues were winning on the way to the playoffs. Tightly checked. Bennington giving them everything they need. And then they just squeeze out enough offense to win the game. And it didn't happen this time. And they played a really, really good game to keep the Jets in check. But we're going 2-2 back to Winnipeg. That is a frightening development, I think, if you're a Blues fan. I think it is, too. And I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but... I will pat it very much because I predicted correctly that one of the Jets' weaknesses this season was they were missing Patrick Laine being who he was last year, which is a deadly goal scorer, probably the most lethal in the league besides Alex Ovechkin. Well, he's streaky. and Once he gets hot, he gets really hot. Once he's cold, he's really cold. And he scores in the first game. And I'm like, you know what? They got that extra weapon. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, they haven't, ex- they only exploded in one game offensively so far. A lot of these have been tight defensive battles. That said, uh, I think that's a different element to their game. And you're right. And I think going back to Winnipeg, this is a different series than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, the, the good news for the Blues is that they played so damn well in Winnipeg that yeah. maybe, maybe you feel confident going in there and, and winning a game, game five. But, uh, you know, the, the Jets play just as well in St. Louis. It's a very interesting series, and, and that one was one that the Jets should feel really good about winning a game that I think the Blues were kind of set up to win. Um, Neither profile a subject, by the way. Pat Marone is having a very nice series. Uh, let's pause on that. The the back and forth with Line A, uh, with Pat Maroon, where, what did he say? I'm, I'm, I might be chubby, but I'm effective, I think was what he said. Uh, Mike's caught him. Kudos to that man for uh, creating a, an amazing T-shirt level catchphrase straight away in that series. Very impressive. Uh, Nash- agency too. Octagon must be very pleased. There it is. Uh, Nashville and Dallas. Pekka Rene outdueling Ben Bishop so far in this series, and and Dallas running into the same the problem that we all thought they were going to have, which is that although Nashville's not exactly blowing the doors off offensively, only about I think a two point three three goals for average so far. Dallas is averaging two goals a game. And so you're running into that issue of like Bishop giving you strong performances, although not as strong as Rene, but the offense not really being there to support it. And and that that's why I picked Nashville in the series. And so far, it's kind of playing out that way. Yeah, I, I, this is a goaltending duel to me. I mean, Ben Bishop finally let in more than what it was like three goals for the first time <laughs> in like months. He's been underratedly good uh, for the end of the season, all season long, really him and Anton Kadobin, uh for these stars. But uh Pecorene is showing up in the playoffs, and honestly, it's fun to watch both of these guys go. I think both of them are just going to need those timely goals. Like, I, neither of these offenses really scare me. Uh, probably the Predators more so just because of the talent on their top line. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's interesting to me about the Predators is, okay, Michael Granlund has a big goal, but David Poyle's other big acquisitions that's going to push this team over the edge, Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle, both out. Like, yeah. Both A, non-factors, and B, now out with injury. And and they're getting an amazing performance from uh, Rocco Grimaldi 
in these playoffs as a deaf player. As you we may all rem- predicted. You may remember him from such controversies as telling women how to dress uh, on Twitter a few years ago. But uh, Rocco is having himself uh, quite a playoff, and uh, good good for him. That's exciting. It's always good to see a guy named Rocco do well. Calgary and Colorado. Now Ooh. we're talking. Now the game has changed. Kale McCarr comes in, scores in his debut. Uh, the Avalanche looked incredibly good in game three. And, oh, would you look at that? The modern day Tim Thomas, Mike Smith turned back into a pumpkin, didn't he? So it was a Cinderella story. All didn't want to end. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was it was like that bad Cinderella story with with uh, Hillary Duff. It wasn't a good Cinderella story. Um, I love that movie. Yeah, I'm sure. It's no never after. Um, so the, the Avalanche look really good, and, and they're still getting strong goaltending from from Grubauer, Nathan McKinnon, three goals in three games. This is one that maybe the writing should have been on the wall that there was the potential here for an upset. It's, it's not Blue Jackets lightning level upset, but it would be the lowest wild card defeating the best team in the conference. Where are you right now on the idea that the Avalanche might be able to take out the Flames? I think they could if the Flames play as poorly as they did in that game three. I, I really do. Um, look, I think the momentum swung uh, with that Nathan McKinnon overtime goal. That game could have gone either way, right? It's going to overtime. It's anybody's guess. And the Avalanche took it, and the next game, they show up. And they get Kale McCarr. Like, he's not the difference maker, but he quite is a boost. It's, you know, clearly a team wanting to play for a guy. He plugs in fine to their top six. No rookie jitters. Obviously gets that goal. And all of a sudden, the pressure is now on this Flames team. And look... I believe in the Flames' offense. I think they have so many players that can turn it up and score. I believe in Sean Monaghan and Kachuk, uh, let alone Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, that said, their defense worries the heck out of me. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all season long, the Avalanche have shown they're more than just a one-dimensional team. They've got a little bit of secondary scoring. And if they just get enough goals past uh, this defense and Mike Smith, uh, I, I do think they have the capacity to steal it. The Vegas Golden Knights San Jose Shark series by far the most entertaining off the ice. Not even close how entertaining it's been off the ice. Um Joe Thornton obviously deserved his one game suspension. He picked the head. He should have tried to hit the guy through the body. He picked the head, so that's fine. I mean that's that's a good call by player safety. Uh the Sharks, as we do this show, are down three one in the series. Uh they're in, in some deep, deep trouble right there. And uh and I think that uh Vegas if nothing else, you're seeing a situation where the, that line of Stone, Pacioretty, and Stasny is just taking over in much the same way the Marchessault line took over last year. But the story of the series by far, besides Marc-Andre Fleury playing extraordinarily well and Martin Jones not, um, would be uh, the Evander Kane versus Ryan Reeves kerfuffle. Uh, kerfuffle, you mean WWE verbal smackdown. So they had a fight, and uh, our our good friend uh, Sheng Peng. Love asked, Sheng Peng, great work, that guy. He's fantastic. I was very happy to see him on the road for this series. Asked Evander Kane how he came out of the fight, and Kane said he was unharmed. Quote, for the so-called toughest guy in the league, I don't know if he landed a punch, he said of Reeves. At times, I thought I was fighting the Muffin Man. Didn't expect that. I expected a lot more of a battle. And then uh, Shang asked him if he saw Reeves' comments in which he was uh, talking about, um, you know, Joe Thornton and talking about uh, Evander Kane, uh, you know, not getting into the dirty areas. And and Kane said, for a guy who plays three and a half uh, to four minutes a night, he sure does a lot of talking. I think he thinks he's it's the WWE. He's probably going to end up there pretty soon anyway with the way his game looks. <laughs> It's like it is so good, and um, and and then he goes about the Thornton comments. The guy has over a thousand assists. That doesn't seem too bright. When one of the best one of the best passers to ever play the game, it just shows a lot about his hockey knowledge and hockey IQ. Clearly, it's lacking. He said of Reeves, "This is grade A, like vintage circa nineteen ninety three Jeremy Roenick level chirping." <laughs> Uh, this is like, this is like if Sean Avery was funny. I have, I am, this is an amazing, amazing job by Evander Kane here on Ryan Reeves. And this series is super fun, but probably not long for this world. <laughs> All right. If Sean Avery was funny and had a little bit of chill, I'll, right. I'll give it that. Well, just a little bit of chill. Uh, I almost wonder if they have some kind of 
not even history, but like I feel like these are two guys who are actually buddies and go golfing over the summer and kind of putting on a show just to kind of rile everybody up. Like that's <laughs> like, the vibe I'm getting from it. Like like when Subban and Marshan would get at each other and yet they're exactly. like buddies. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, they're like world team Canada things, like getting coffee I, on the road. I think it's real heat because I mean, in in the short history of the Vegas Golden Knights, this is like a real this is a blood feud. Like they have a real blood feud right now with the San Jose Sharks, and uh, I think the heat is real. Again, like I referenced before, though. Martin Jones, man. I, I still don't quite understand what's happened to him this season. I hope he's okay because his game has fallen off so steeply. Uh, his save percentage right now, I think, is in the 840s for the playoffs. He was pulled All twice. Right. And, uh, and you know, not the total reason that they're losing in this series. I mean, you do have to score goals to win, and they didn't in game four. Pretty much the reason they're losing this series. I mean, he's just been it's terrible. And the Golden Knights keep scoring goals in the first five minutes of the game. And that's kind of when you need Martin Jones to make a save. But he can't. And that Pacioretty line with Stone, Stone leading the, the NHL in, in, in goals and points in the playoffs so far, unbelievably effective right now for the, for Vegas. I honestly wonder, and I, I feel like he's not going to get it, but George McPhee to me is the GM of the year. Because when you look at the most effective line, seriously, I, I know it's cliche, whatever, but the most effective line has been Patchy Reddy, Stasny, and Stone. And if you can't see and hear through your ears, Greg is just grinning right now like I'm sounding yeah, like an idiot. I'm, but those I'm, are all I'm, new no, additions. No, I'm, And you got I'm, them all for great prices. I'm, I'm smiling because I can't believe I have to invite a friend on the show now. Uh, one of your favorite impressions. <clears throat> Hello, it's me, Yarmo. I make trades for Matthew Shane. I make a zingle trade. I make all these deals and look at us. We just made history. This is the worst finish impression of all time. <laughs> Kitos. Moi, moi, Kitos. Uh, the other thing I want to mention about this series is uh, maybe, maybe Eric Carlson needs to shut it down for, for a little bit. Get healthy. He he's, he's not right. Clearly, he's clearly not right. And uh, you know, you think about the stocks of these guys heading into free agency. Like, but Brovsky's price probably increased by a million dollars based on how he played in that series against Tampa. Uh, buyer beware in Eric Carlson this summer. Like, uh, I don't think a lot of us really know exactly where he's going to end up. Uh, apparently, I've heard from some people around the Sharks that he really likes San Jose and could uh, event you know sign on a new deal there if they want him. I'm sure, the Sharks um, are saying that. Uh, but, uh, but I don't know, man, like he, he's clearly not himself and maybe he just needs to heal up. I'll put this out here. I don't know if you noticed, but Tampa gonna lose a few veterans in that blue line. Wonder if we, uh, if we get a little, a little short term, let me help my Swedish pirate friend, Victor Hedman win a cup kind of action from Eric Carlson to go to Tampa for a couple of seasons. Now that'd be wild. Wouldn't that be fun? All right. Uh, speaking of Tampa, uh, Diana Naros is uh, from the Tampa Bay Times, and she joins us to dissect the corpse of the lightning. Diana, what happened to the lightning? I wish I had a good answer for that, but really just everything went wrong. Everything they did well in the playoffs, they forgot. It was like invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> so one of the working theories from John Cooper was that they were too good that they cruised the regular season, that they clinched a playoff spot after 60-some-odd games, um, that there was no adversity, and he basically boiled it down to six bad days in April undid the season. Do you buy that? Well, I buy that six bad days in April undid the season. Um, I don't know if I totally buy, like, they were too good and didn't have any hard games, but players who have been through it before say that also. Brooks Orpik said that when I tried to ask about the difference between a President's Trophy winning team and a Stanley Cup winning team. So players who have been through it feel that way. Um, I don't buy the lack of adversity. This team has been through adversity, whether it was this year or different years, whether it was getting shut out two games in a row to lose last year, whether it was losing in Game 7 to the Penguins a couple years ago. I mean, they've all been through this stuff before. I don't think they needed it this year. But also, they were really good at turning around even little bits of adversity this year. Mm -hmm. So to say that they hadn't faced adversity doesn't feel super legitimate to me. Mm -hmm. Who who surprised you the most in their lack of effectiveness in this in this series? Because I got a guess. I'll, I'll give you my guess. Ready, Vasilevsky. Like I think there were times when he played really well, 
but the numbers don't bear it out at the end. And he certainly got outplayed by Bobrovsky in a way that I didn't expect he would be. I agree with you on that last part. He definitely got outplayed by Bobrovsky in a way I didn't expect. But I think he doesn't surprise me the most because he wasn't the worst. <laughs> he so played, who's, who's the worst? He played fine. Who's the worst? <laughs> Oh, now I have to pick one. Um, honestly, Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough. Yeah. And you know what? John Cooper and Julian Brisebois have said amazing things about Ryan McDonough, and I have been with them. Mm-hmm. All season, Ryan McDonough was great. Mm-hmm. And as a reporter who interviews the team, I really like Ryan McDonough. But it was like the two of them, who were the best duo, not pair, but duo of defensemen on a single team this year. Right were completely ineffective. Victor Edmund only played two games, mm-hmm. but he didn't look anything like Victor Edmund. And right. Ryan McDonough didn't look anything like Ryan McDonough. And I don't want to lay all of the problems on those two players, because also there was a lack of team defense, even maybe even more than there was a lack of defenseman defense. Right. But for just like being in the wrong place and making poor decisions and everything else, I think that's who surprised me the most. You, you bring up Hedman, and I don't think his name got brought up enough in the last couple of days. Um, it's just been he's been out. But I mean, he's the Norris Trophy guy. Like, like him being out is a pretty big deal, and uh, and I feel like that had a really him being clearly injured in the first two games and getting spun around like the top by David Savard. Um, you know, had a deleterious effect on the team and him being not in the lineup for the last two two games affects everything. I mean you think about the penalty kill being as terrible as it was in the series where the the, the Blue Jackets go to five for ten. You know, he's gonna be out there during those situations. He's the other not side there. of that the power play. Which they didn't get a whole lot right. of opportunities, but they were good at making taking advantage of few opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think what we all saw um was just how, especially on the power play, but overall, just how important Victor Hedman is to right. this team. When you talk about it, stars, he starts sinking down the list, and he might be five. Mm-hmm. And because you think about all these other big names, and he didn't have the season he had last year. Mm-hmm. But he's still such a huge part of this team, and especially, again, that power play. If you look at the power play numbers in the regular season, which were stellar, but look at the six or seven games that he missed in October and November, Mm -hmm. and look at the couple of other games that he missed, even before that last week. Everything was weird that last week. They were not good on the power play without Victor Hedman in the regular season. So, well, I think Mikhail Sergachev did good things. I actually really liked him tonight. Um, I don't think it was totally reasonable to expect him to step in and be able to be Victor Hedman on that power play. All right, so what happens now? Uh, you know, the outsiders looking on in on this team wonder whether a sweep affects things more dramatically than losing a game seven in a conference final does. The most interesting thing about this is that you have the entirety of, of Tampa Bay saying, or, or Tampa, what do we call it? It's Tampa, and it's not, it's not actually Tampa a Tampa Bay. Bay. Well, the water is Tampa Bay. Well, I always Region. get scolded by people that are like, anyways. So people get... A little offended right, if you leave will. them out of this. I, okay, like, so the, they in were the, part of in this. In the Tampa St. Pete area, <laughs> a lot of people were, were like, oh, they should fire John Cooper. Problem being, they just gave John Cooper a fat new contract. And looking at some of the prices for the coaches that have just signed contracts in the neighborhood of $5 million a season, that's probably not a bath that Jeff Finnick wants to take necessarily. So I guess the first question is, is he safe? Well, that's my first question also. I don't know that the extension totally protects him because here's the thing. If they fire him, somebody else is hiring him. Theory, that's yes. going to get covered. Right, right. It'll come off the books. Right. Yeah. Um, but then the question is, what comes what comes in to, to better this? Is it is it the, the guy down in Syracuse where they would just turn the keys over to him and then be like, let's try something different? How do you fire a guy who, who tied the NHL record for the most wins in, in a season? That's the other part that you can't wrap your brain around. Yeah. I, who's better out there? Right. And, you know, this isn't always the logical approach taken to coaching fires and mm-hmm. fires, but I think you have to start there. Is yeah. there somebody else better out there who's going to do a better job? Because if you fire him just to fire him, then you've made a statement that you don't accept a sweep. Right. But have you bettered your team? Right. And I guess the last question is, you know, you being in the room, you knowing this team, uh, after seeing this result, after taking into account a loss in game six in game seven to Pittsburgh, a loss in game six in game seven to the Capitals, is there just a fundamental flaw 
in this core? Is the foundation cracked? Can this group win? That's really hard to figure out because I know this team can win. I saw them win 62 games. I saw them win 62 games very convincingly. I saw them score tons of goals. But they haven't done it in the playoffs that way. Um, So I don't know. I don't know what the missing piece there is to transition from winning 62 games to winning a game in the playoffs. You know, obviously there is a difference to the kind of playoff hockey, but that's too simple of a narrative to explain this. This was not a, they got in a physical battle and couldn't hang because they're too much of a speed team. That's not what happened. It's not even like goalie steals series. No, like they just... Invasion of the body snatchers. Like, they just, <laughs> everything who, that they did, they stopped doing. So, again, there's just so many big questions there that it, it's not like, oh, they don't have that one guy. Like, they have that one guy. That, they have, like, ten of them. Exactly. <laughs> they just didn't step up. Yeah. So, that's part of why I think it's mental. Like, yeah. there was a mental block on this, whatever it is. And so, I think they can win, but there's a piece that needs to be twisted and come out differently. Well... Safe travels back to Tampa. Good luck trying to find the alien pods in the lightning dressing room. And we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Our thanks to Diana Neros uh, for all the insight on the lightning. Definitely follow her work as she uh, and Joe Smith from The Athletic, who is also a really good writer, uh, break, down, break down day uh, and try to figure out exactly what the repercussions are for this lightning team. Like Diana said, they could fire Cooper with the knowledge that someone will just sign him. And, and take the contract off the books if they wanted to do that. But again, is he the problem? Is it a fundamental flaw in the team? These are the questions we're going to have about what is essentially the new Washington Capitals, a team that we think is fundamentally unable to thrive in the postseason and win the ultimate prize. All right, it's now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yes, it's Phil Kessel Loves Hot Dogs. We talk about the hyperbole and the foibles and mistakes of the hockey media. Damian Cox has appeared in this space multiple times. He talked about George Peros this week on Twitter about suspending Nazem Kadri. Quote, another dopey, curious George decision. Can't even come up with a specific number. Reminds me of the days when Gil Stein did the job. Gil Stein, of course, the uh, NHL president before uh, Bettman took over as commissioner. Uh, time to find somebody qualified to take on this important job. If it had been Tom Wilson, of course, hapless George would have bent over backwards to go easy on him. Now, a couple things here. First off, Peros is the head of player safety, but it is a group effort to determine these suspensions. It is not just one guy ruling with an iron fist. Let's be honest here. But that's fine. That's neither here nor there. He would have bent over backwards to go easy on Tom Wilson. Does Damian Cox understand how the Tom Wilson suspension worked? Where the NHL swung the ban hammer at him, but the arbitrator knocked it down? Like, there was no going easy on Tom Wilson. Like, they went really, really hard on Tom Wilson. Really hard. It's not a revisionist history that many people subscribe to. Yeah, I, I think it was one of those situations where... The NHL was actually like applauded for finally going hard on Tom Wilson. And it was the neutral arbitrator who knocked it down. So I don't know what the hell he's talking about here. Like if, if, if this had been Tom Wilson instead of Nazem Kadri, what he would have gotten a game. Okay. Fantasy land. All right. Now it's time for puck headlines. Uh, Dateline Philadelphia. Much to the chagrin of some rain, uh, some Flyers fans and the joy of some Rangers fans, Elaine Vigneault is your new Flyers head coach five years. $5 million a season. I got to be honest. I'm, I understand why Vigneault has sort of a negative reputation now because the end of his tenure in New York was uh, fraught with bad personnel decisions and, and ineffective uh, coaching. Man knows his way around a contending team. And I think in the immediate future, with Claude Giroux and, and Voracek and some of these guys being the, the ages that they are, I think he's a really good coach for this team. I really, really like this hire for Philly. If it ain't Quenville, I kind of think that Vigneault was the next best choice for this team. You know what? I'm, in, I'm glad you brought up Quenville because I think the interesting thing is the 
Emo around uh, Vigneault, and I think it's with Quenville too a bit. Great with veteran players, really can connect, doesn't like young players. Right. Uh, and that would present a problem for Philly because, yes, they do have a veteran core, but they're trying to bring in these young guys. I think that's a little overblown. I think he can connect with young players, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I think it was a great hire. Uh, if you're going to recycle, it's a good recycle. I do like the whoever said, though, that uh, uh, bad news for Carter Hart because he'll join Roberto Luongo and Henrik Lundqvist as goalies that Elaine Vigneault has ruined uh, and not having uh, gotten cup rings. That's a pretty good line. Uh, Dateline Los Angeles. Speaking of newly wealthy coaches, uh, Todd McClellan apparently also getting $5 million a year for the Kings. Uh, he goes to work for a guy he used to coach and Rob Blake and goes to a place, Emily, where the bar is no longer set at, hey, you got McDavid. Go win something. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Like I said for Vigno and like I said last week, if you're going to recycle, it's a fine recycle. Uh, I, I think they needed somebody to figure it out. I think they needed a seasoned voice in here. I really do. And he's a fine coach. He really is. He is. And, and I, I think that obviously his reputation took a hit because of how things went down in Edmonton. But uh, as long as the expectations and that's how McClellan's going to go on that roster and work miracles, because that's a roster that needs a lot of tweaking before anything like that can happen. Uh, I think he's he's fine. Is it a little disconcerting that Rob Lake keeps on just relying on his friends and, and former associates for these jobs? A little bit. But, uh, but McClellan's a really good coach. And again, there were, there was competition for his services. Look no further than the Buffalo Sabres who, uh, yeah, fired their coach and really don't have any options at this point. Uh, Dateline Calgary. Emily, you are an aficionado of hockey hair in all its various forms, be it mullets or be it beards or be it mustaches. Care to comment on Sam Bennett's Lanny McDonald-esque mustache that he... Well, I do... Go ahead. I, I do care to comment, yes. Um, it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's reminiscent <laughs> of the 1970s and the great uh, flows that existed back then. I want to give a shout-out, though, to another great piece of hair uh, style that I've seen in these playoffs. Dougie Hamilton. Oh, has do tell. Has quietly been growing a mullet since October. Hmm. And I must say, it is mullet. It's pretty mullety. Uh, and he told me that uh, it is a big hit, not among his teammates who uh, seem to jeer it and, and, and are not fans, but waitresses and the ladies, he said. <laughs> Wait, waitresses? Ladies? <laughs> ladies and waitresses. <laughs> Can I get you a warm up on your coffee? Oh, Dougie, that hair is beautiful. Dateline Apple. I got to tell you, I was really excited. Uh, oh, full disclosure, my wife works for Apple. I was really excited <laughs> uh, to see that commercial that's on the air now with Austin Matthews as the cinematographer uh, filming Mitch Marner for an iPhone commercial. It's a really cool commercial. And it's been a minute since we had any 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 NHL players on my TV advertising a product that, A, isn't... An enterprise? <laughs> Isn't isn't Enterprise or an NHL sponsor of some sort, or like like uh, like a like an equipment company or something, or B, isn't for like the local car dealership or pizza joint? Like this is a national commercial with young star players showing personality, and how exciting is that? What a, what a time to be alive that we have something like that on the air right now. I, I thought it was, it's an adorable commercial. It's just like a peek into their life, their little bromance, them shooting around, going to their favorite Italian restaurant, going on the team plane. It, it's, it's, it's very quaint. It's very cool. Uh, the music is catchy and it's mainstream, like you said, which is all Austin Matthews needs right now in the USA. Mm -hmm. I wonder if in the pitch meeting for the advertising thing, they, they, they talked about the nutcracker. When they dress up for the Nutcracker, they're like, oh, these guys God. are young and they're now. Look, they were in the Nutcracker. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm going to give a hard pass on that uh, theory. Finally, Dateline Broom Closet. Citing safety concerns, the Columbus Blue Jackets banned brooms from Game 4. Now, when I heard this, my first thought was, oh, that's just trying to work the karma. That's just trying to be like, don't bring your brooms, dummies, because we're trying not... Trying to pretend it ain't going to be a sweep. Uh, but I wanted to mention this, one, to get your opinion on anti-broom policies, and two, to give props to the guys who were seated in front of us at Game 4 who bought a broom head but not the handle into the arena. Nicely done. And also the guy vaping. Uh, drinking a Corona and vaping in front of us, I thought was was a nice touch, too. At the very least, a nice contact high from me and Dan, Dan Rosen during the game. 
Um, I have to say I'm all for the anti-broom policy because bringing a broom somewhere is just weird. Uh, it's clunky and awkward. And I've experienced with this. Actually, when I visited Nigeria a couple of years ago, I wanted to bring back my mom a beautiful like wooden broom uh, that I got from a market. And obviously, I had to bring it as my carry-on. And I had, I believe, my connection in Heathrow. Uh, and it was Heathrow, in fact, because here I am walking through Great Britain. Oh, my God. Sorry, Ryan. You're going to have to bleep that. But with a broom... And uh, I literally went up to someone and asked where a platform nine and three quarters was, which I thought was hilarious. But, oh, uh, I got a lot that's, of weird stares. That's very nice. When you tried to bring the room on the plane, did they have to put it in that little square to see if it fits in the overhead compartment like your suitcase? You know what? I think they might have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now it's time for the rant line. Hi, Greg and Emily. Um, as a Vancouver Canucks fan, I don't know if I should be calling you or I should be calling 911 because I would like to report a robbery. I don't understand how we can lose in the draft lottery every freaking year and the freaking Blackhawks who just won the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, three times in a decade win a draft lottery. It's it's terrible. Why are we cursed? I don't know. I'm sad. Uh, anyway, love the show. Uh, but yeah, why? Couple things. You're cursed because you got rid of the electric skate jersey. If you're still wearing the electric skate jersey, <laughs> you would have won the draft lottery. Two. Um, it is a joke that a Blackhawks team that finished. So few points out of the playoffs has a chance to move up in the lottery. I agree with the idea that it should be restricted to like maybe like your worst five or six teams. You're just trying to make it anti-tank. But there's no reason a team that missed the playoffs by a point should be even getting a sniff of, of getting the first overall pick. So I agree with that. But third, we didn't talk about this last week because when we taped the show, as you know, uh, the Devils have the first overall pick, a valiant win of the lottery. Uh, as a, as a Devils fan and a pessimist, I know whoever we take number one will not be as good as the Rangers take at number two. That person will win the Hart Trophy five times. Our guy will blow his knee in like the first week of the season. But I'll say this. You're a Vancouver fan. I'm a Devils fan. I understand why we're having this conversation now through the podcast airwaves. You want Jack Hughes to play with his brother. So let's make a deal. Elias Pettersson and, uh, Bo Horvat. For the first overall pick. And I'll throw in like Travis Zajac. To me, it's, it's, if it's that important to unite the Hughes brothers, the least you could do is give me, you know, two of your top four players. I love to hear like a Chris Peters take on one for one Pedersen versus Hughes. Would you make that trade? Hmm. I mean, it's a center versus an elite goal scorer. And a, and a proven commodity against a guy you don't know yet, but. You get to unite the brothers. And the last time the Vancouver Canucks united the brothers, good things <laughs> happened. Maybe, maybe Jack and Quinn have that Sedin's sonar and are just able to play incredibly well together because of it. I'm just saying that it might be worth you giving us Pedersen. That's all I'm saying. All right. That's ESPN. Pedersen. That's ESPN and I saw uh, for this week. Uh, I am Greg Wyshynski. You can find our work at ESPN.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. And of course, you could listen to Puck Soup, my other podcast, where there is uh, surprisingly more cursing than there is on this podcast. <laughs> I'm Emily Kaplan, and I only curse that I want to talk about brooms at Emily M. Kaplan. And uh, I'll be in Raleigh and then Boston. So if you see me in either place, I'll be friendly and say hi. Oh, yeah. I'll be back on the San Jose series now. And then after that, who's to say where this wacky playoff adventure will take us? Not to Tampa. Really bitter. Can't go to the Tiki Bar this year. Heard, by the way, the Tiki Bar was under renovations anyway. It is, but it's still a Tiki Bar. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.